Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the chart spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside my co-host and Swamp 247 staff writer, Graham Hall. Uh, Graham, it's always good to be back on the show. And as always, as our second podcast of the week, it is our preview show where we take a look at Florida's upcoming opponent. This week, it's Missouri. Uh, Homecoming week for the Gators. They take on the Tigers on Saturday at noon in the Swamp. Uh, We are expecting a lively crowd, especially with that homecoming game. A lot of alumni uh, as Billy Napier said, making their way back to the city of Gainesville uh, to have a good time. Uh, and a lot on the line here. This is a big game. Florida is 0-2 in the SEC this season. If you look back to last season, I think this is an interesting statistic. Florida is 0-6 in its last six SEC games. A loss on Saturday to Missouri would move them to 0-7 in a stretch of SEC games for the first time since the 1940s. Florida has not lost seven consecutive SEC games since then. You can see it on Graham's face there if you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, Quite a shock for uh, a program that has been so historically excellent. Uh, And I think before we really get into anything, I would like to just say that I think that that says a lot. There have been a lot of Florida fans, uh, I think, Graham, who have been frustrated maybe uh, by certain things at the start of Florida's football season. Some people have even gone as far as to put that very heavily on the coaching staff. And like we talked about uh, in our podcast earlier this week, which I would encourage you to give a listen to. Uh, We don't feel that that's the case. Uh, We think that the coaching staff is about on on pace with where we think uh, it should be right now. Uh, And it should be evidenced by the fact that if Florida loses this game, again, it is a historic losing streak in the SEC. Uh, Seven games has never happened since the 40s. And I think it really just says a lot about the state of the program and the state of the roster. Uh, And and really just that Billy Napier has a, a large hole to dig out of. And I guess before I ask you anything, Graham, about Missouri, uh, give me your thoughts on that. This is this is a potentially uh, historic weekend and not such a great way for this Florida football program. What Where are you at in terms of, you know, uh, you know, we're reaching the halfway point of this season of Billy Napier's first campaign in, in Gainesville. There's also some pretty negative history on the horizon, potentially. What 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 are your thoughts on the situation? Yeah, I think it speaks to a couple of things. Obviously, the roster where currently Florida is at, losing a lot of veterans from last year's team, starting a new quarterback. I think a lot of that stuff makes sense, right? You see a lot of teams around the country deal with issues like that where veteran players leave and there's a drop-off. And you have to, I think, see a little bit of a reset of expectations in a sense here. And I think for Florida, that has been very stark the differences that we've seen in less than two years, Jacob. I mean, this is a roster that a couple of years ago had a record-setting quarterback in Kyle Trask. And that team was on the cusp of a a New Year's Six Bowl and potentially the college football playoff, right? Florida is facing Alabama in the SEC championship game before everything kind of turned to mud in a sense here let's say that and really you you saw a lot of mistakes magnified with Florida being in the limelight and then when you look at what they lost those have certainly continued over the last year obviously resulting in a coaching change a lot of roster turnover guys leaving for the transfer portal going to places like Michigan State Missouri Tennessee I think that you, you look at a lot of that stuff, yeah, it speaks to how cyclical college football is <clears throat> and how impressive it is when programs like Alabama, Georgia, 
Clemson continually reload and are able to maintain their top 10 status, that is very impressive. I think that Florida's kind of current situation right now speaks to how difficult that really is. And then the last thing I'll say is I also think it speaks to the parity in the SEC. Time and time again, Jacob, since you've been here, and I know you saw it from afar, but coaches come out and, and show respect to the opponents within the conference and say, right. we can't take anyone lightly. We can't afford to overlook these games because you see upsets happen every single week. And with what I just mentioned, the transfer portal, the strength of coaches in the conference. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz was running a successful program at Appalachian State, and now he's doing well in the SEC. But there's a lot of parity, like I said, in the conference. And then those teams that do have some success do have impressive signing classes like Missouri just did, signing a top 20 class, getting a five-star player. They're able to benefit more from that with immediate additions than programs ever were in the past. And so that has increased the parity in my mind, and it doesn't really allow programs to base their expectations off of program status and how they would view themselves in the tiers of the SEC. It really is more of a year-to-year -year type assessment Sure, And I think that this game kind of embodies that. A Missouri team that is considered to be inferior for numerous reasons, a late addition to the SEC, yet since they've been here, they have been playing Florida at an extremely competitive level and now holds the, the series record between the two teams, having won three of the last five right. games, including that double overtime win last year. Florida absolutely, given all their problems and given where the SEC is at, this is a matchup that, yeah, they absolutely are in danger, Jacob of losing their seventh consecutive SEC game. And I think that there's a many reasons behind that, as I, ju I just stated. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting storyline. Florida obviously uh, hoping to avoid the nasty history that could be seven consecutive uh, SEC losses. And let's use that as our uh, transition vehicle to talk a little bit about that Missouri team. Eli Drinkwitz in his third year at Missouri after leaving Appalachian State, which you had just mentioned, uh, he was extremely successful uh, up in Boone, and then moved over to Columbia, Missouri, where he has since gone 13 and 15 overall. Uh, so really just kind of hovering around that 500 mark. Uh, however, they have been successful against Florida. You mentioned the game last year with the overtime victory by a point. Uh, this is a game that is competitive. I think if you ask a lot of Florida fans who have followed the program for a long time, uh, they would tell you that this is a matchup that they dislike a lot because you never really know what's going to happen. It seems to kind of have a weird... Uh, history to it. It's got a weird feel to it. It's almost as if that this contest uh, ignores what has been going on either historically or uh, even even in whatever is happening actively with a certain program. Uh, it seems like that all bets are off with this game. Uh, this is a contest though where Florida is favored by double digits uh, and will be facing a Missouri offense that for a lack of better terms has been really, really bad so far to start this season. They have been turnover prone. Uh, in a game against Kansas State, when they lost 40-12, to 12, they turned the ball over four times, all of them interceptions, uh, couldn't generate much on offense. Uh, they scored just 14 points in a loss to Auburn, uh, looked a little bit better against Georgia, although I would credit a lot of that performance to a very strong defensive performance. Graham, what are the things that stand out to you about this Eli Drinkwitz-Missouri offense? Uh, what should Florida fans be looking for in this matchup? Yeah, it's a very uh, in-progress Missouri offense. You know, obviously they lost a lot of talent from last year's team in the backfield uh, at wide receiver. But the familiarity within the system, uh, the players that they have, they have improved, I think, certainly. And if we hadn't, I think, been so tuned into that Georgia game recently, I think many people would be of the impression that this was an inferior Missouri team to the ones that Florida has faced in years past where they have had I think weapons out wide and they've had a capable quarterback, a mobile quarterback who's been able to do some damage. That's not really the case for this Missouri team this year. Although I did think that they showed a lot of progress um, in Columbia last week against, against Georgia, their offensive line looked better. They were able to have some success running between the tackles and they were able to extend some drives against a Georgia defense that many people I think have heralded in recent recent months as yes a little bit inferior to the one last year but definitely one of the best defenses in the country and I think that seeing that they were able to establish themselves especially in the first half and take advantage of some Georgia mistakes I, I think that absolutely 
is some cause for concern if you're Florida. But otherwise, when you look at where they stood outside of that game, this is an absolute talent advantage um, for Florida, in my opinion, outside of a few players that we'll mention here in a second. Um, especially on offense, this is probably, I hate to say that they're the weakest offense that Florida has faced this year because we have seen the likes of USF and Eastern Washington, but both of those offenses were able to have some success against Florida's defense, which we will talk about here in a second. Mm -hmm. You would think that Missouri would be of the lower caliber, but right now knowing that Florida has kind of been gashed at times by inferior offenses, just kind of, I think throws it out the window assessing Missouri's potential potency on offense, because I really think that it does come hand in hand with the defense that they are facing, knowing that they were able to have some success and, and, you know, get 300 offensive yards against Georgia. It's hard to sit here and say that Florida's going to limit them more than Georgia just did right now. But outside of that game, it should bode well for Florida's success. Oh boy. Uh, I, I think that this is the most interesting aspect of this game going into the weekend. And I'll tell you why I think that Missouri's offense, as I've said now once, and I'll repeat it, uh, is really bad. I think that they struggle to do easy things. Well, uh, actually I should, I should change that. I think that they struggle to do easy things consistently. Uh, and that makes it look really bad. I think that they are, uh, very high and a very low uh, team offensively, and I'm not talking about game over game. I'm talking about within games. It's a play. It's a play to play consistency struggle. I think that they, uh, it's a it's a two steps forward for one step back type of system. Um, I don't like the way that Missouri has moved the ball through the air. I think that it has targeted uh, Dominic Lovett, the sophomore wide receiver, out of the slot uh, very heavily, which is something that defenses can key in on. There have not necessarily been a whole lot of other playmakers through the air, which is a concern if you're an offense, because it allows defenses to basically go best player on best player uh, with fewer concerns. That being said, and actually I should add before I move on, uh, Dominic Lovett is, I would say, questionable. I haven't seen any news as of right now, Friday morning, uh, regarding his status for the game. If he's unable to play, uh, that that could be the nail in the coffin, I think, for Missouri in this contest, because again, he is such an, an important, excuse me, uh, offensive feature for this team. However, uh, as much as Missouri has struggled to move the ball, especially through the air where they don't rank very well, uh, 90th overall in total yards per game, 102nd in the FBS with just 205.2 passing yards per contest. Uh, there should be concerns if you're a Missouri fan about whether or not they're going to be able to effectively move the ball in a rivalry game at, in, at, at noon on a Saturday in a hostile environment, of course. However, uh, Florida's defense has been poor, to say the least. I think that Florida's defense also struggles with consistency. Florida's defense has struggled with assignments uh, and maintaining the level of discipline necessary in order to not make individual mistakes that plague the entirety of the defense. We've seen that now uh, several times, and I should add that, like you alluded to, uh, it happened against Eastern Washington, and it happened against USF. USF was able to do essentially whatever it wanted throughout the entirety of the contest, other you know, other than really throw the ball. But but it was it was effective on the ground, and that's all that really mattered. And they kept the game close. Uh, Eastern Washington, while it scored only three points against Florida, which is something uh, to note. Obviously, if you can hold, uh, and it threw three quarters, I should add. They they scored fourteen more. Uh, in that fourth quarter, but there were reserves and walk-ons and, you know, the the, the personnel changed uh, for Florida. But still, you don't want to give up over 400 yards of total offense to a team like Eastern Washington. You don't want to go out there and on the first drive of the game, and it doesn't matter in my mind if it's scripted or not scripted, uh, Eastern Washington operated kind of freely on that first drive. And Florida did a good job limiting them to a field goal at the end of it. But again, you don't want to see that against an FCS opponent, uh, especially one, by the way, that had just one win coming into play. So I think that those are things that uh, are worth keeping in mind. I do wonder, and I'll throw it back to you, uh, whether or not Florida's defense is capable of being effective enough to actually keep Missouri out of the game. And we're going to get into our predictions later, uh, but I feel like that 11-point spread, just to kind of have a number to discuss here, is kind of high. Uh, especially knowing what we know about Florida's defense and, and what it could surrender. So I'll ask you this. 
is Missouri's offense strong enough? And I'm not saying it's a good offense, but is it strong enough to do what it needs to do to be competitive in this game? Uh, or is this something that you're not really concerned? Is it something that Florida should actually be able to have kind of a bounce back game defensively? Where do you stand? I think that Missouri will struggle from a consistency standpoint. I don't think that they're going to go out there and average, you know, seven yards per play and consistently rack up first downs against this Florida defense. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that Florida will be able to create pressure, um, have an effective pass rush against this Missouri offensive line, which in my opinion is one of the weaker ones in the SEC. And I think that Missouri will struggle to establish the run, um, even though Florida has not really shown that they can be an impressive run-stopping team this season. I, I think that, you know, Ventrell Miller's improved health, the improvements of the defensive line, the guys around Javon Dexter, who is playing at an extremely, you know, maybe not the highest level right now, but he's playing at a high rate, which is, I think, limiting his, his level of play because he's out on the field so much. I mean, he's playing more than 50 snaps a game at defensive tackle and consistently drawing double teams. I mean, that alone is impressive. And I think kind of has gone into Florida's some of their undesirable defensive performances right there. But if they can continue to get guys like Chris McClellan in and Desmond Watson and, you know, even Jalen Lee, if they can play those guys against and have some success with those guys, I think that and get off the field, they'll be able to, improve how good that defensive line can be and gets, you know, Jervon Dexter some rest. The big question I think is, is Florida going to play sound enough coverage and communicate effectively to eliminate explosive plays? Yeah. Tennessee had a lot of success against the Gators in Knoxville, but a lot of that was due to, you know, sizable plays, a few 70 yard plus plays, huge runs by Hendon Hooker, failing to play contain. I mean, I think that for Florida, they have a bigger issue with limiting explosive plays than they do consistent defensive play, if that makes sense. I, I think that if Missouri can take advantage of Florida's mistakes, the few ones that will occur from what we've seen, then they absolutely are going to have some chances at stringing together some successful drives that are going to result in points, either whether it's long field goals or getting down to the red zone and then just, you know, gashing away at that Florida front seven. So I think that absolutely, if they can limit the explosive plays that we have seen throughout the season, we won't really have many defensive concerns in my mind, but I think that that still is an unknown right now with Trey Dean returning some of the usage of the freshmen that they have um, the use of the freshman linebackers and then that rotation at corner that is going to see Jaden Hill, Avery Helm, Devin Moore, a bunch of guys that, yeah, promising guys, but really haven't played an abundance of snaps outside of Avery Helm. So I think that there are certainly some questions there, but if Florida, like I said, can limit explosive plays, then I think that overall they'll be able to fare reasonably well against this Missouri offense just just given what they have from a talent standpoint, but there's such an unknown there with the explosive plays. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right. I, I, I think we should move to a topic that is not typical necessarily for these podcasts. If you listen to us every week, uh, these preview podcasts tend to focus very heavily on the opponent. I think, though, uh, this week calls for a little attention on Florida as well. You mentioned Trey Dean, uh, the senior safety, who has drawn the ire of Florida's fan base. And, and you know, there have been 
several plays through five games this season where Trey Dean has either been partially or entirely responsible for a coverage bust uh, that has allowed significant yardage. One example, obviously, is the uh, play at Tennessee where Trey Dean did not pick up a change in assignments. Devin Moore was forced to change his man assignment as a receiver shifted out uh, wide towards the boundary. Uh, Trey Dean did not move over. It was essentially a free run for 70 yards for Tennessee. I believe it was Brew McCoy who made the reception. Uh, that can't happen. And Florida fans were upset, probably rightfully, that Trey Dean uh, has returned from injury. He missed last week's contest against Eastern Washington and is listed as a starter. Uh, let me ask you this. What, what are your thoughts on just his season overall? Do you feel as though there needs to be, I don't know if discipline is the right word, but maybe a change uh, to Florida's rotation at safety? Do you think that we need to start seeing more Kawari Wilson, uh, maybe in some sort of a rep share with Trey Dean? What, what is the solution here? Are fans overreacting? Maybe. I'll leave that uh, open as well. But but tell me, tell me where you're at. I don't really think people are overreacting too much do i think people should be attacking players online and going after you know 18 to 22 year olds no that's in my mind that's despicable let me just say there's a fine line between going at someone personally online and criticizing or critiquing fairly their level of play i think that if you can separate the two the the emotions surrounding the critiques. And often these critiques come from people who are emotional. They're emotionally invested in the level of play on the team. And it's hard to keep that out of the assessment so far. But what it looks like from an outside perspective to people who are covering the team and are are watching it from the outside, are watching at home, pundits, analysts, former players, I think that it does look like trading is the largest culprit for Florida's defensive woes. Um, the busted coverages, the <laughs> busted coverages, excuse me. I have a cat here, everybody, the busted coverages, the blown assignments, the lack of communication. And I think that he has rubbed some people the wrong way with how he has, I think, lacked humility on the field at times when he has made the play when he has been in on the tackle sometimes it's you know first down play and he is still celebrating knowing that he maybe was at fault previously I, I think that many people want to see a player who celebrates after the result is achieved rather than in between each play when the contest is still up in the air or when mistakes could still happen I think that that absolutely is behind some of the ire if if there was a little bit more of a accountability standpoint maybe from someone saying hey i've made mistakes i need to step it up that would that would i think ease some of the discord going on between the fan base and and trey dean right now you've seen florida players do that you've seen jervon dexter come out this season i just gave you many reasons for jervon dexter's I think ineffectiveness at times this season. And then I just came out and said that, you know, this is a guy who is playing in a high abundance of snaps and maybe that's resulting in it. Despite all the reasons why he could point to for why he hasn't been as dominant as he would like to be. You've seen him come out on social media and say nine needs to be better. Nine will be better. That accountability aspect, I think goes a long way when you have social media for players now too. And they're only using it, I think, to either prop themselves up or or maybe defend themselves rather than take accountability. That can just rub people some the wrong way. And I'm not trying to judge players like Trey Dean or tell them what they should do necessarily. But I do think that that can lead to some of the reactions when I speculate on what is behind some of the animosity here as we head into week five of the season. I think that it's still early before the midpoint. And if Trey Dean returns, makes some plays, I mean, this is the guy who started as a freshman at Florida, has played a variety of positions, both corner spots, star, and now he's at safety. I think that when you look at what he's done so far, he has shown an ability to make plays and, and know his assignment. And maybe he's struggling with a new defensive scheme, uh, still adjusting to having a lot of, I think, new players around him being in a rotation. There are many reasons behind that. But given, I think, 
how he has responded publicly and and not really said anything about it since it has led to the situation where people are calling for him to be benched even though he may still be the most ready and i i know people would hate to hear this he may still be the most ready option at safety kamari wilson and donovan yes. mcmillan i thought that they were good against eastern washington but they were just that they were good they still made their mistakes i still think that they were culprits of of giving up some yardage and i and to assume that one of them is going to go out right now and play at a higher level than trading i'm just not totally buying that right now could it be that people are already having seen everything with trading are ready for florida to take their lumps with kamari wilson and donovan mcmillan and, and maybe even Corey collier and have them kind of learn and have a trial by fire experience that could be the situation for many people right now but i'm telling you that i think that that may come with a competitive disadvantage in a sense here with what you may give up you know the grass isn't always greener on the other side maybe it's a little bit a little bit more dead right now before it turns around if, if that's the situation that florida wants to go in but i i still am of the opinion that trading may give florida the best chance out there um as the starting safety but it's going to be interesting to see and i'll turn it over to you after this because i know i spoke a long time but i'm interested to see how much more of a rotation it is knowing that trading is recovering from uh, a hip injury mm -hmm. uh, excuse me a lower body injury um recovering from you know coming from that and that there's some animosity there as well as some some blown assignments and coverages I, i'm interested to see how much Billy Napier and Patrick Tony are willing to use a rotation uh, at the position starting with this weekend against Missouri. And, and that's where I'm at. I, I, I'm just curious as to what the balance is now moving forward. I think that it doesn't take a very trained eye. And, 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 and let me back up. I think you said something really important. The personal attacks and the way with which some, not all, Florida fans have... Um, express their opinions about Trey Dean, I think has been irresponsible and inappropriate. Um, I actually think that when some fans take it to a personal and inappropriate and too far level, uh, it actually subtracts from what could be a very legitimate uh, argument or opinion. And that is at this point that Trey Dean has not played well. And I, I don't, here's the thing also, I, I don't necessarily think that Trey Dean would tell you that he's played well. It's very obvious he's made mistakes. It doesn't take a professional to understand that. Uh, and it has happened in several games. And so I think for me at this point, my biggest question is what, what do we see moving forward? Trey Dean's not getting benched. Let's, let's just be clear here. I, I don't see that happening now. I don't necessarily even see that happening for the remainder of the season. And the reasons are for what you outlined. I think that he's just simply the most experienced guy in the room. There are competitive disadvantages to putting in young players in SEC play. I know that people might want to see those guys. And I, listen, I think that that makes sense that you do. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but there is a competitive disadvantage and they will make their mistakes as we saw against Eastern Washington, which I think people need to recognize as well. Uh, but I do think that it is time uh, for trading to not be the guy playing the most snaps uh, of any Florida player in a game on defense. I think that we have reached a point where maybe mixing in a healthier dose of Kamari Wilson or Donovan McMillan is a smart, maybe even competitively wise decision uh, that could give you a better chance. I just think that the level of the mistakes and the frequency of them uh, would suggest that changes are needed. Uh, and I actually think that it could be helpful for Trey Dean. I think that Trey Dean has the ability to be uh, serviceable, whether that's because of his athleticism uh, or simply just the way that he plays. He's he, you know, I think that with a reduced role where maybe the responsibilities are simplified, uh, it could be helpful. And you never know if that is something that works. You could see his workload build back up. You could see uh, him stay in that kind of a situation where he can be confident and play, you know, instead of 65 of 65 snaps, maybe he plays 50 or 45 of them and he gets 20 plays off the field and it's a down and distance related uh, set up and, and you put him in situations where you think he's, he can succeed. Uh, regardless, I do agree with you, though, that there is legitimacy uh, to the argument. I do think that it's time for some sort of change. Uh, and that's what I'll be watching for. I'm, I'm not among the group of people that's like, bench him right now. Uh, let's be done with the trade Dean. 
experience. I, I think that that's extreme. Uh, but this weekend in particular, I will be curious to see how much Kamari Wilson, uh, Donovan McMillan become a factor at that safety position and, and truly how many plays uh, Trey Dean is out there for. So that may be something to watch if you're a Florida fan. Let's talk about the other side of the ball. Uh, this Missouri defense has been quite effective, especially last week against uh, Georgia when it kept the Bulldogs under that 30-point mark, something it has been able to do with consistency this season. All but one Missouri opponent has been limited to th under 30, 29 or fewer uh, points, and the group ranks quite well. Uh, 65, 65th nationally in points per game allowed, 39th in total yardage per game, 57th in passing yardage per game, and 46th in rushing yardage. So not necessarily anything that's going to blow you away, but uh, certainly well-ranked within most major statistics. Uh, this is a Florida offense that has turned it on recently, uh, but we have seen in the past that Anthony Richardson struggles potentially with confidence if he gets shut down early. Uh, something to keep an eye on against such a good defense. Graham, what stands out to you about that unit, uh, and what will these Gators need to do in order to uh, come out with a victory? Yeah, really sound from a defensive standpoint. I don't think that they are going to I think, you know, out muscle the competition or or dominate anyone, but really I think a good understanding of the scheme, their assignments, and a lot of talented playmakers. You know, let's let's talk about Tyron Hopper. We talked about him throughout the week, a guy who played at Florida. Speaking of Florida fans and how loud they have been, I, I say that in a respectful way, of course. I think that last year there were people calling for Tyron Hopper to be Florida's starting linebacker at times. I mean, this is a guy who showed a lot of talent and maybe he was just right on on the cusp of being capable of being a starter but it was clear that he had starting potential and then you know the coaching change and some turnaround and then he has a, a family member his <clears throat> his brother you know transfers from North Carolina to Missouri that obviously plays a huge role Florida has benefited from that in the past um they you know you know shout out Umstead Sanders um I think that absolutely um you know, that's just a, a factor. And this is someone who has been dominant since he's been at Missouri and really just a sound tackler, aggressive tackler, fills, fills gaps. Well, he's patient, doesn't, doesn't got, get caught looking in the backfield. I mean, does a lot of things well. And against Georgia, I think they held the Bulldogs to 36 rushing yards in the first half when they built that lead. This is a, a team that does well against the run. You're going to need to use some play action, be able to get outside the tackles, throw outside the pocket, throw on the run, because that front seven can absolutely cause some problems. I think that if Florida wasn't so sound off on the offensive line and Anthony Richardson hadn't done such a solid job at evading pressure, using his feet to escape, uh, throw outside um, of the pocket, of course, throw on the run, and uh, you know has improved when it comes to getting rid of the football, um, I would be a little bit more concerned about this Missouri defense than I am. But with that said, they still are impressive. What they did against Georgia before Georgia, you know, must've got yelled at incredibly by Kirby smart in the halftime locker room to, <laughs> to fix this stuff. Um, what they did was impressive. You know, I, I think that absolutely they pose a threat to Florida's offense and, and you can't take them lightly. It, it, it will take some sound offensive play to have some success against this Missouri team, especially for a team like Florida that likes to establish the run and at times with a lead likes to slow it down in the second half and continue running the ball rather than trying to push that thing to a, a double digit advantage. They, they do like running the ball. And if they struggle to do that against Missouri, this thing could get really, really interesting. And that should be a, a, a highlight point that you just made. Missouri has allowed just 120 rushing yards per game through five games of the season. Obviously, you can take a look at who their opponents have been as well, and that's a factor. Uh, Abilene Christian is in there. Uh, Louisiana Tech, which got dominated in the first week of the season, is one of their opponents so far. Auburn, which has been inconsistent offensively, is, is among the group. Uh, like you said, though, Florida is a run-first team. This is a, this is a group that relies heavily on its, on its ability to run the ball. Uh, the rest of its offense kind of stems from that. You know, You have to find the success in the run game to open up the play action. Uh, the play action is where Anthony Richardson is really supposed to be able to thrive because you you, know, you boot him out. He has the ability to run. Uh, all the things that you just mentioned are really important. And this Missouri defense has done a good job of limiting its opposition in the areas that Florida just so happens to see to, to, to succeed. Excuse me. 
that to me makes this a very interesting game. I think that one of the things that we will need to watch early on in this first quarter is how successful can Missouri be at limiting Florida in all respects and how does Anthony Richardson respond to that? That the response has been a big question so far this year. What does he do when the going gets tough? Against Kentucky, it didn't look very good. Against USF, it certainly didn't look very good. So uh, we have seen him succumb to pressure. We have also seen him do quite well in high-pressure environments. Uh, he played a career game against Tennessee in Knoxville in front of a massive crowd. Uh, obviously, Florida ended up losing that game, but the effort was there. Uh, you know, they gave it a good try and it really came down to the last play, honestly, after they recovered an onside kick, uh, Anthony Richardson obviously intercepted on a Hail Mary attempt, but the fact that it even came down to that, uh, I think is impressive. Tennessee, obviously a top 10 team. So which Anthony Richardson do we get in this game? Is it going to be the Anthony Richardson that sees and hears the pressure and is able to kind of compartmentalize everything going on and take that and understand it while keeping his cool about him? That's a version we've seen so far. We saw it against Utah. We saw it against Tennessee. Uh, or are we going to see the Kentucky-USF Anthony Richardson, the one that you know uh, faces some early pressure, doesn't necessarily know how to navigate it, uh, and becomes a victim of his own head? And if that is the case, I think that this game has the potential to become very interesting, again, because of Florida's defensive struggles this season. Uh, and if you're Missouri... That has to be the key to the game is you have to have early success. And you're hoping if you're going to be able to do that, that that early success can fluster Florida's most important player and potentially throw off the Gators game plan. So I think that that, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to understand, you know, keys to the game, things to watch for, uh, I think that the outcome of this game pretty much comes down to, in my opinion, how the first 10 minutes go. Uh, I think that if Missouri can get out there and be successful early, uh, offensively find ways to exploit Florida's defensive mistakes, get guys out of position, uh, move the ball effectively and put points on the board within those first 10 minutes. That would be step one. Step two would be, you don't necessarily have to keep Florida off the board, but you certainly have to be limiting in that Anthony Richardson is struggling to find his receivers. The running lanes are not there. And then you're hoping that he gets frustrated uh, and basically can't operate at maximum efficiency. And if that happens, uh, I could see a little bit of an underdog uh, victory here, or at least a much closer game. And with that, uh, we should transition into what is my favorite section of the podcast of the week. It is select the SEC time where Graham and I go back and forth and pick the winners of every game featuring an SEC team straight up and against the spread. We are keeping score on the season, and it has not been pretty. Uh, straight up picking just winners. We've been great. I'm 47 and nine. You are 46 and 10. Uh, so we're, we're, we're doing great against the spread. However, has been disastrous. We are both 16 and 28 heading into week six. <laughs> it has been ugly. Uh, maybe we can turn it around, uh, this week. There are seven sec contests. Uh, every team is playing and they are playing an sec team. And as you alluded to earlier, the parity in the conference this year uh, is not something to scoff at. So this should not be an easy week. Let's jump right in. Tennessee is taking on LSU. Tennessee is a three-point favorite, which is a surprise to me. Graham, give me your winner and uh, how you're picking the spread. Yeah, always to win. Always tough to win um, at LSU. Um, absolutely. I think that despite their difficulties this season – or slow start losing that game to to FSU. I, I think that absolutely you um, you, you got to be wary anytime you go down there. Um, but I am going to go with Tennessee. I think they're a better team. I think that their offense is just too good. That LSU defense is pretty banged up. I mean, they've seen guys like Seven Banks go down. You know, Mason. You name it. They they've lost a whole lot. They're still you know getting some pieces involved on offense. Um, but you know. It's, it's hard anytime you go into the SEC. I'm going to go, though, with Tennessee to win and cover. All righty. I'm with you. Uh, I actually think this is the pick of the week. I think if you want to make some money, this is the way to do it. Uh, Jaden Daniels is, is I think, uh, slightly banged up. I mean, it's been made clear that the, uh, 
Brian Kelly has made it clear that he there's a difference in his head between being hurt and being injured. Being hurt means you can play. Being injured means you can't. Uh, and he said Jaden Daniels, his quarterback, is hurt, not injured. I would not bet on a team that has been offensively questionable with a quote-unquote hurt but not injured quarterback who has also had his own uh, consistency battles so far this season. So Tennessee uh, win and cover. It's only a three-point spread, which I think is uh, super, super enticing. Let's move on to our next game. It's Arkansas at number 23, Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State obviously had a big win last week to jump into the, to the AP Top 25 and goes into this matchup uh, with a nine-point spread uh, as the favorite. So tell me who you got. Arkansas, Mississippi State, again, nine-point Mississippi State favorite. I'm going to go with Mississippi State wins, but I'm going to go with they don't cover. I think that's, that's going to be a close game. I think it's going to come down to maybe a field goal here. You know, Arkansas had a where they were a doink away from from winning that game against Texas A&M a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm not underestimating Arkansas. I know they've played some tough opponents, have, have haven't fared well against Alabama, but I, I'm I'm still on board the Razorbacks, and, and I'm rooting for the the Fightins. Not rooting for, excuse me. I'm thinking the Fightin' Sam Pittman's pull this one out. Well, picks. Uh, I disagree. I think Mississippi State wins and covers. Uh, KJ Jefferson is questionable at best for this game. Uh, Sam Pittman said, I believe on Wednesday, if I remember correctly, that if you don't practice Wednesday, uh, then you don't really play in his system. That's his rule. Uh, unclear if Pittman, uh, sorry, if, if Jefferson practiced uh, or if he will play or not, uh, we'll find out on Saturday. But I'm going to err on the side of caution and give this one to Mississippi State and basically. Uh, assume that Jefferson is out. So MSST win and cover. Uh, Georgia is a heavy favorite this week. 29 and a half points for the number two team in the country taking on Auburn. Also, uh, I will, before I go to you, Graham, I will just add, uh, if you're looking at the games, I did just skip over Missouri, Florida. We picked them last uh, every week and we will offer a score prediction. So stay tuned for a second. Uh, but for now, Auburn at number two, Georgia Bulldogs, 29 and a half points. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot, especially with some pieces on Auburn or Georgia's defense potentially being out for that game. We'll have to see what happens with, with Jalen Carter. I think that um, I think Georgia wins, but I don't think they cover. I'm with you. Uh, no further explanation. I think that uh, Georgia was uninspiring last week, uh, and I don't think Auburn's good, but but not lose by 30. Uh, bad. So let's move on. Number nine, Ole Miss headed to the beautiful city of Nashville to take on Vanderbilt and enters play 17-point favorite. Who you got? Oof. Oof. Who's heading to Nashville? I'm sorry. Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Wow. You know, Lane Kiffin has really been running a solid program up there. I know a lot of Florida fans wanted him in Gainesville. Anytime you go to Vanderbilt um, – no offense to the Commodores. I think that you have a good chance of pulling that one out. I'm going to go with Ole Miss to win and cover. I'm riding the lane train this week. Number nine, Ole Miss going to Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt's three and two. So so good for Vandy. Uh, catching a couple wins on the gridiron, which is not a thing Vanderbilt does uh, historically. So good for them. Uh, that being said, this one's going to be ugly, I think. I think Ole Miss... Uh, kick some serious butt they're five and oh uh i think they're going to be six and oh and i think that they they get that sixth win by at least uh 18 points so mrs uh, old miss i almost called the mississippi state old miss uh win and cover let's move down the line number 13 kentucky is hosting a three and two south carolina team kentucky four and one and a six and a half point favorite in this contest who you got oh kentucky wins and covers i'm with you uh another easy one uh, for me so kentucky win and cover uh, this, I think, is a very difficult one. Texas A&M is traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on number one Alabama. Alabama is a 24-point favorite. Uh, I know that Texas A&M's offense is not, not there. Uh, I just wonder if the, the Jimbo-Nick Saban Bowl uh, ends up being a little more competitive than Vegas expects it to be. No. I'll answer that right now. Um, sorry, Vegas. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Vegas. I'm not against you on this one. I think that Nick Saban has been making voodoo dolls and drawing pictures of 
Jimbo Fisher and putting them out on his shooting range and <laughs> firing a clip into it. And I think that he's been waiting for this game. How violent since <laughs> there's no blood involved. It okay. was just a practice dummy. I think that absolutely he's been just salivating at the thought of putting Jimbo in his place, letting him know that y'all may have those NIL funds, but you ain't got these brains, boy. I think that absolutely you're going to see Nick Saban hang 60 on Texas, Texas A&M. I don't really think the first. Aggies can compete. I'm looking at, I'm thinking like a 60 to 21 game or something like that. I'm going Alabama wins and covers and they limp out of uh, Tuscaloosa. I am. I am too. I think Alabama wins and covers. I don't know that they score 60. Uh, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know about any of the, uh, of the pregame actions for Nick Saban, but I do think that he ends up with a, a resounding victory in what's a little bit of a coaching rivalry here. Uh, let's move on to the last game. That is Florida versus Missouri Gators taking on the Tigers at noon Eastern on Saturday from the swamp. Gators are an 11 point favorite. And after everything we've talked about, Graham, what's your score prediction and winner? This is really tough for me because I do think that Florida wins this game but everything I said about the parity in the SEC, Missouri's strengths, this being a noon kickoff, a short week. I mean, we didn't even discuss really the shortened week on the podcast. We wrote about it a lot at swamp247.com. You can check out everything we have from last week's coverage, also from the hurricane to coverage from Sunday and into Wednesday of what this team was working on amid a shortened week and how they tried to make up for that preparation. I think that is a factor. I know that Billy Napier said that it can aid in recovery a little bit, but just knowing what Florida was attempting to make up this week, knowing that they played on Sunday, it's hard for me to see them covering a double-digit spread. The last thing I'm going to use to back up my opinion is a stat that I gave you earlier in the year after the USF game. And you know what I'm going to say last year, last year, you're, you're waiting for it last year at Louisiana, Billy Napier. Yeah. They went what 13 and one, but in games where Billy Napier's team was favored by double digits, they were Oh, and six against the spread. They didn't cover that double digit spread once last year. Wow. They won one game against Appalachian State where they weren't favored. They were they went in that game as the underdog and ended up winning, I believe, by double digits. But you factor in the USF game from this season when Florida was favored by 24 plus points and they win that game by three. I'm just not really enthralled to think that right now the Gators are going to pull away and, and win by double digits and cover the spread. I mean, statistically right now, Recently, it says that that is not going to be the case for a Billy Napier coach team. And until he proves me wrong, not like he has to or anything, I'm going to have to go against Vegas on this one and say that the Gators don't cover against Missouri. Okay. Uh, potential insider uh, info there with Graham's statistics. I'm not going to use any of the stats. I appreciate them. Uh, but I'm just going to go with what we've got on the, on the field here this week. Uh, Missouri's got a good defense. Florida's got a, Florida's got a good offense. I think that we've, we've seen that now. Uh, I, I should also just add, I, I said it in our podcast earlier this week, but just to continue to reiterate it, I thought Billy Napier called a fantastic game offensively uh, against Eastern Washington. And yes, I understand it's Eastern Washington, but I think that there's something to be said for the cleanliness of the play calling uh, and how effective your operation is from that standpoint. And Billy Napier did his thing. Uh, and I like where Florida's trending in that regard. However, I also recognize that Anthony Richardson can get flustered if uh, the going gets tough, as we just discussed. I think that Florida's defense, uh, given its struggles previously to what I would classify as lesser offensive opponents, being Eastern Washington and USF, uh, I have concerns about whether or not Florida is able to actually limit uh, Missouri in this game. That being said, I definitely think that Florida wins, uh, just not by double digits. I'm going 27-21 Florida. I think it's close. I think it's lower scoring, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, which of these teams comes out with a victory in what is uh, a matchup that Florida fans seem to kind of dread here. So uh, homecoming should be an interesting one for the Gators this year. 
as they look for their first SEC win in in six contests, trying to avoid that 0-7 stretch. Uh, again, would be the worst since the 1940s. Uh, and with that being said, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. Lots of good stuff going on over at the site. You should visit swamp247.com if you want uh, all of our coverage of football, basketball. We'll have some baseball going on this weekend. Florida's fall ball starts on Sunday. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people who are interested in this team, especially given its strengths. The Gators brought back a whole bunch of talented guys who they weren't really supposed to uh, to, to bring back this year. So tune in uh, for that coverage the day after Florida takes on Missouri. And of course, uh, we have so much football coverage going on right now. Every single day, we've got several stories. Uh, we've got the podcast, which we appreciate you listening to. Uh, and we would say keep it locked, swamp247.com. Subscribe, like, comment on our YouTube. We definitely appreciate uh, the engagement and look forward to uh, you know seeing what people have to say. And then on Spotify, uh, we are always publishing these podcasts there, Apple Podcasts, pretty much any audio-only platform. We've got you covered. So uh, you should have ways to find us as we prepare for this game. And with that being said, I'm going to close out this episode. Uh, wish everybody well. Again, uh, we talked about it earlier in the week. Uh, if you're struggling after Hurricane Ian, we've actually had a lot of people uh, reach out with some GoFundMe type stuff uh, on our on our message board and, and privately. Uh, keep on doing that. We we're happy to share it. Uh, we want you know use the the website as a resource. We have a great community of people over there who uh, some of whom at least I'm sure are happy to help if you need it. So so reach out uh, and I wish those people the best as well. And we will see you on our next episode. This is Sandra Oreda from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golasso Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAFW Gold Cup, where the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the Winter Transfer Window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more. Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third.